Okay, we're live. Tim Blankenship here with Divorce661.com. Today we are here with Dr. Ray and Jean. They uh, co-founded Lighthouse Emotional Wellness Center, a counseling center in the Chicagoland area. Have worked with thousands of couples. Both uh, Dr. Ray and Jean hold master's degrees in clinical psychology, and Dr. Ray has an additional doctorate in clinical psychology. Uh, and our co-hosts of their own podcast called Synergy Couple, uh, Couples Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories, and co-authored a book entitled Good Boundaries, Great Relationships. So really happy to have you guys on. What I want to talk to you about is, uh, so people know what we're getting into, is what is the number one problem couples complain about in their relationships? Why can traditional marriage counseling actually damage a marriage? What does healthy conflict look like in a relationship? And why can traditional marriage counseling actually damage a marriage? Plus other random questions I will come up with, uh, with as we get along. I want to talk about your coaching program, uh, the book you wrote, and all that good stuff. And the reason I wanted to get you guys on is... I handle amicable divorce cases uh, in California, and so many of the people calling, not that I ask them why they're getting a divorce, but those that offer that information, many of them have no idea other than to say they're unhappy. And with the uh, initials and letters behind your name, I thought you guys would have a lot of information to share uh, regarding that. Maybe we could save a few relationships. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us on on your podcast. This yeah, wonderful. thanks. Yeah, what did I miss uh, in that introduction? Please, uh, I think you got everything on on it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things so we are is, done. Uh, we are also <laughs> uh, uh, co-founders of of Couple Synergy, which is also a separate coaching company. Okay, that's different than um, Lighthouse Emotional Wellness. Correct. Lighthouse Emotional Wellness is a counseling clinic. It is in uh, the Chicagoland suburbs. It okay. services Chicagoland suburbs and also the whole state of Illinois. Um, and uh, we are co-founders of the Lighthouse, still managing the Lighthouse as well. Okay. How are those uh, those two uh, programs different? So when you think about traditional counseling, you know, you, you go to your insurance, you look up a counselor, um, and they give you references on who to go to. It is, it is a medical clinic, considered a medical clinic. Uh, we do okay. individual counseling. Um, it is where we founded our couples program, you know, our 90-day program that we created to work with couples. And it is also, it is also where we founded our family program called Family Synergy Therapy. So that's specifically uh, fa- family. So you'd be working with both, both parties? Correct. So all of our therapists, there, clinicians, they work with couples. They also work with families um, and also individuals. And what kind of things are you guys assisting with there versus, say, the uh, the, the um, couple synergy? You know, it's interesting you're talking about how couples really can't find words to describe why they're really getting divorced. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of training in marriage counseling So a lot of therapists can't define it either. (laughs) Even why people come, you know, everyone has the buzzword. We can't, we can't, we're here to work on communication, you know, and communication has nothing to do with vocabulary. You know, we don't sit and teach people vocabulary, but the real breakdown is somewhere inside a person between their head and their heart. And they don't know how to resolve that. And so we created a method. It's a 90 day program to help, people learn how to reconnect to themselves and their partners in a way they have no idea actually exists. And one of the main reasons is because all of our relationship templates is parent-child. 
That's our first relationship. And then when we show up in, in a partnership relationship, we still show up as parent child and we flip flop. And so we don't know how to resolve it because of that power differential. And so both people have to do their part to be the adult in the relationship and not to seek their needs being met like a child or withholding and rejection of a parent like the adult. And that's a big part of what we do to help people in our coaching method, which is it's not traditional therapy, it's a program. So when you're talking about the parent child and then that reversing, that would be like myself as a child to my parents and then now a role as a parent to my children. Did I get that right? A role as a parent to your spouse. To your, oh, interesting. Yeah, you're the daddy, she's the little girl or she's the mommy, you're the little boy. And all relationships start out that way. Really? That's first that's fascinating. Our first relationship that's role modeled to us is parent-child. So when we get into a committed partnership, we start out doing that. We start out with that dance of parent-child. And so the goal of every relationship is to evolve and grow into an adult-adult relationship. But most couples are not taught how to do that. They don't know how to evolve and grow into that. And so a lot of couples stay stuck in that. And then they leave as a rebellious child to the the partner who's been parenting them or vice versa. The child that won't behave, I've been parenting. And that transitions to the the, the marital relationship in the same fashion? Correct. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. So um, I'll throw a curveball at you. It may not be a curveball, but is it, does that fall in? Is that like the, I'm just guessing here. Is it like the the men who, you know, we needed our moms now have, our wives, what's, is that the dynamic? Like our wife is. So it's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's both uh, directions. Gender based. Is it? Okay. okay. You know, what, what really happens is more of this power differential that occurs in the relationship, you know, where one person is acting out the rebellious child, the other person's acting out the parent, you know, admonishing criticism, you know, demands, that sort of thing. And then sometimes it flips. And then the person that was occupying the child role now occupies the adult role. And, and, you know, couples will do that for, for years. They will do it for the entire relationship, you know, until they figure it out. It's very automatic and unconscious that we do this. It's almost miraculous how we will choose a person who knows our relationship dance. And so if I'm, uh, someone that was raised in a family where uh, I didn't really speak up and there was a lot of, you know, not talking about things. It's often that you attract a partner who wants to do all the talking, doesn't let you talk or vice versa, something like that. And what we want to do is disrupt those patterns and teach them a different way of relating that has nothing to do with that. It's an empowered way of relating so that the resentment goes away and and the ownership of the responsibility problem is squarely on the individual shoulders, not on the partner. And as people we see out, we don't see like this. And so oftentimes when a couple comes to work with us, they are very full of uh, all the ideas that their partner needs to change, (laughs) but not what they need to do. Hmm. And they can't see it. And And so that's really what we're doing is helping them see their piece where their power is. And you were talking about uh, communication kind of, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said unspoken communication 
or I think you use the word withholding. I, it seems that there is lack of con uh, communication just in general, but usually the withholding maybe upset in, in, in lack of understanding as far as our behavior being more uh, apparent, you know, in, in frustration versus just coming out and telling your spouse what, you know, how you feel or how, how that's making them feel. And there's a whole complexity of, of dynamics that occur in, in relationships. And that's why it's so difficult. It is the most challenging relationship we will ever have, you know, as a human being, a lot of people opt not to have any committed partnerships because it's so difficult, you know, and what we do when we are assessing a couple, we are looking at it from different categories, yellow, blue, red flags, and green flags. Green flags are positive relationship behaviors. But, you know, couples start out in love. We have yet to meet a couple that wasn't in love uh, on their wedding day. But somewhere along the way, what happens is that they start demonstrating behaviors, you know, protecting themselves, guarding themselves, not being vulnerable because they don't want to be hurt. You know, that risk of being abandoned and rejected is something that grows over time as you are with a person, as you invest more and more in the relationship. So, you know, couples start to do their little dance of coping mechanisms and protecting themselves from having that happen. And so the, the problems that occur in the beginning, they start to grow and start to increase over time. So they go from yellow flags, which are behaviors of not investing in the relationship, to blue flags. And that's where maybe they start withholding. They start keeping secrets. They start doing things that are putting the relationship into a code blue. And then if it continues to grow and escalate, they can get into red flags where now they they start doing some behaviors that are really you know detrimental you know, and damaging to the relationship. Gotcha. Are, are people, and obviously people are coming to you guys when you do this assessment in different stages of these, as these flags, as, as you refer to them, are people identifying that they're having marital problems and that's where they are then reaching out to you guys? Yeah, there are certain questions that we ask, you know, that gives us an understanding of the health of the relationship and kind of what category they fall into. You know, if someone is in a red flag category, that that requires a very different type of approach than someone who is falling in in a yellow flag category. One of the important things is that people feel the secondary emotions much quicker. Those other protective emotions of of uh, anger, frustration, um, anxiety, and they want to fix that. But that's not the problem. That's just the light on the dashboard. What's underneath are the more vulnerable emotions, hurt, sadness, fear, and that's the place where you can heal stuff, but they're not aware of that. And so they want to fix what we call the issue. You know, the issue is I want my house clean and you leave dishes in the sink, whatever that is. Well, we had this one couple we were working with. It was really interesting we were talking with him about why that was so important to him, you know, the dishes and what did he learn as a child and his life experience when he was five years old, his mother passed away and left behind a father and two other boys. So the house went from being organized to chaos. And so his way of coping with that 
was to go around and straighten things up instead of the grief that he was not expressing and nobody in the house was expressing. And so it's that kind of thing that there's these connections back to life events that haven't been tended to. And we don't really know that there's that connection, that the dishes in the sink meant something really horrible might, might happen. Yeah. When, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when people come in to see you guys, is it, what is the, um, what does that normally look like from the, your client's perspective is one spouse saying, Hey, we need to go see someone because I've, I've, they, they've noticed something in the relationship. Is it both of them? And is, I don't want to call it fault, but are, is there actions that they can take to make their situation more successful on both sides? Or is it usually one-sided? We always work from the premise that each person has contributed equally to the condition of the relationship. And so there isn't ever one person more fault than the other. And the relationship only changes if each person takes ownership responsibility for what they contribute to that relationship. There's either two win or two losers. And I'm sure you see that in the work you do. Nobody feels like they won when they go through a divorce. Like they won, the other person lost. It's just a brutal, transformative process to go through. And um, most couples that come in, they're both unhappy. And they are both don't know what to do. And they typically still have uh, some positive feeling toward their partner, but they're just really tired of feeling miserable and being stuck, and they really want to figure out what to do. And I think the most surprising thing for couples who come to see us, and you know, we we hear this from the testimonies people have given us, that they came in thinking we were going to pick a side mm. and that we were going to pick their side. And they didn't realize <laughs> that we didn't pick a side because that's not going to help the relationship. And we want them to do their own work. And that I think that, that's the surprising thing that people don't know that we have work as individual people first. So it's not you telling them, it's it's you guiding them through what would end up being <clears throat> like um, self-discovery. Would that be a good, a good example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I awesome. Mean, you know, um, yeah, each person, they, well, the research actually shows that couples wait a minimum of six years before they actually seek outside help. Really? So you, you can imagine how much, um, you know, how many bad habits they've developed in six years. And they're just ingrained in this really negative and toxic dynamic. And, you know, what our job is, is, is to break them, break that habit, you know, break that pattern and teach them new ways of interacting with each other. No, that's, uh, that's good. I wanted to get into uh, some of the, the questions we spoke about earlier. Um, what is the number one problem couples complain about in their relationship? Maybe we could start there. They complain about sort of, the, the one they complain about, of course, is communication. But the one we identify as even worse than communication is the relationship is starving. If we ask them how much quality time do you spend together on average in a week, no screens, no kids, no other people, just the two of you having fun, doing something new, or, you know, just hanging out together. Their answer is usually less than one hour a week. And really? so the relationship 
is hiding amongst friends, amongst family or independently, and it's not being fed at all. And that is the bigger problem. So when you look at the work of like um, the five love languages, that book is really about make deposits into your relationship. It's not about conflict resolution or growth or healing. It's simply about that. And so people are really starving as people in their own lives. They're not taking good care of themselves and they're putting their relationship way on the back burner and they're overwhelmed and busy and really kind of miserable in life with all the have tos and not so much want tos. And what do you consider that, that one, that one hour you said no screen time. So I'm assuming that means you're not watching TV. So, so much of this could be masked as actually being together when it's really not that one-on-one -on -one time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, some couples will say, well, we go and work out at the gym together and they count that as quality time. Well, it's not, you're on one machine, your, your spouse is on another machine. You're not really interacting. And so quality time really is that one-on-one -on -one interaction without other people because other people become then a distraction. You know, some people, some people say that, Oh yeah, we took the kids out for dinner. Well, that's great. That's family time, but it's not couple time. And you know, if, if a couple is not working on the relationship, then what happens is that distance naturally occurs between the two of them. And when distance grows, what fills that spot or that gap is resentment. Now you start having these assumptions about what your spouse is doing and what they're not doing. And you start making them out to be a monster. And that is just a natural thing that occurs when you don't spend time with another person, when you don't connect with them, when you don't bond with them, right? So you're either growing together or you're growing apart. One thing we well, noticed when we started hiking is hiking is a very um, strenuous activity that leads to a lot of frustration. The quote is off to the mountains. I go to lose my mind and find my soul. And what we notice when, when you get to that point of frustration, your automatic reaction is to blame something. And who are you going to blame? You're going to blame your partner. The thing could have nothing to do with your partner, but that's who you're going to blame. And that's what happens in life because, you know, we have bills to pay. We have kids, it gets difficult. And when we feel that sense of powerlessness, because of life, it's so easy to turn on our partner. And we don't do that to our friends. Typically, we don't do it to our kids. It's our partner we do it to. And then we get this idea that if I could just get my partner to change, I'll be okay. And that never is the case. And what we see when we've worked with people over long periods of time with the couples that actually went to divorce is one person would stop doing their work and the other person would stay stuck in it and in doing the work. And it's usually the person who is getting left that did the work. Mm. And the person doing the leaving went and recreated it with someone else within a few years. Uh, what? So you mentioned hiking. I'm assuming that counts as couples time. Is there other examples you guys can provide of what, what, that, what that looks like? Ballroom dancing being face to face and looking in your partner's eyes and moving together. That's a great way to bond Do, doing um, a photo shoot, you know, where you're looking and smiling and, and the photographer is trying to find that essence of love between you. That's another really great one. You know, when, when we look at a mother and child uh, and the bonding behaviors that happen, you know, there's this eye gazing that is, that is occurring. There is, you know, this, proximity there is physical touch 
And so all of those behaviors are bonding behaviors that couples need to do and nurture in their relationship to count as quality time. And so doing new and fun activities, that that is also something that counts because it's not something that's rote and repetitive. It's something that is a new experience that both people in the relationship are experiencing together. And, and it just adds to, you know, memories. And, you know, we know that if we spend time with someone and we have memories with a person, then we feel closer to them and we're, we're bonded. Gotcha. So that, that's interesting. It's really that one-on-one, -on -one, no distraction. I mean, maybe not even going out to dinner then with the distraction of other folks in the, in the room and waiter coming by and all that. When sometimes we give an assignment for a couple to go out on a dinner exercise and, you know, there's some questions and things that we want them to talk about over dinner, but we tell them, make sure that you go to a place you've never been before. Also make sure that you are seated in a place in the restaurant where there are, there are no TVs around. So you can't be distracted by that and put away the phones. The phones should not come out during dinner as well. We also have them order one dish at a time and share it. So they're both having that experience at the same time. Good little tactics there. I like it. So not all conflict is bad, I would imagine. Um, you guys made a note to say, what does healthy conflict look like in a relationship? Can you, can you talk about that? Conflict that has a resolution or conflict that moves a couple forward into growth and evolving as a couple is healthy conflict, all right? And, and I know it's just kind of a very general and vague term, but sure. you know, most often couples, are get, they get stuck in the same cyclical conflict where they're arguing over and over and over about the same thing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so we, we use the analogy of a, an iceberg, iceberg, you know, 15% above the water, 85% under the water. And when couples are stuck in that cyclical conflict, they're typically arguing about the 15% above the water, right? You know, you, you said that you were going to call me uh, when you left work and you didn't and you're late. You're always late. You're never, you're, I can't ever count on you. You know, that's the 15% above the water. But when they are, and, and when we teach them this about being able to get to the 85% under the water, what is the conflict really bringing up? What is it connected to? And these are deeper hurts. These are deeper wounds that each person brings into the relationship that if not attended to and not healed by each other, they're just going to continue to argue about that 15% above the water. According to John Gottman's research, healthy couples and unhealthy couples fight exactly the same. They say things they don't mean, they name call, they slam doors. And the reason for that is we all fight with our hind brain, that reptilian brain that's reactive, that feels unsafe. And the difference between healthy and unhealthy couples or conflict is that healthier couples, once that part of the brain settles down, they start doing something that he calls repair attempts. I want to fix this. I want things to be different. I want to fix it with you. You know, that those kind of things that lead for a possibility of, of change. And one thing that's fairly unique to human beings in the last 40, 50 years, and the divorce rates kind of show it, is 
we don't allow much time for contemplation. We don't allow ourselves to really reflect on our lives anymore. We just go from distraction to distraction to distraction. So we don't really understand why we're so reactive. What, what is it about your partner being late that is so painful for you? And there is something, and that's a better question than make sure you always come home on time because then it won't make me feel bad. It's, it's a deeper issue than that, that we're never getting to because we're just running and rushing through life. So that goes back to that one hour a day. Um, that was a day or was that a week? Was that a day? It, it, the, the research says five and a half hours a, a week. week. Okay. Got you. And then, so with that, I'm sure that plays a part in that. Obviously the, the, uh, the 85% portion of the iceberg, when you guys mentioned that, uh, I'm a retired LAPD officer and I remember in, our initial academy, they had someone come in and say, you guys are going to get into a very demanding job. And, you know, obviously the divorce rate is very high with what we do with, you know, night shifts and just what we deal with. And they didn't use the iceberg theory, but it reminded me, I haven't thought of this in a long time that, that every time, you know, you do something that upsets your spouse, they put a marble in the jar and one day that jar will get full. And then that's, you know, that, that is your divorce. So, Kind of similar to what you said. It made me laugh when you guys brought up the uh, the iceberg theory. Yeah, these are these are wounds that couples don't attend to, and you know the the kicker is that if they don't figure this out within that relationship, they will divorce and they will go and repeat it in another relationship. And they'll bring their marbles with them. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so. That said, what could, if, what are some obvious red flags that someone could look for? And, and, uh, I didn't realize until you guys mentioned, you guys kind of use these, fla this flagging, you know, yellow, uh, blue, green, or I forgot your colors, but yellow, red, um, orange, maybe, but red flags. I just meant it. I thought of it as red flag, but you guys are talking on your site, like red flags. I'm assuming that was more personal to your coaching. What can people look for that might be a red flag in their relationship? Well, yellow, uh, I mean, red flags are very uh, blatant. So these are really toxic behaviors. It, you know, there's maybe physical abuse going on or there's oh. an active substance abuse problem that's going on. Um, Affairs. Uh, an active affair that's going on, right? So th that is, if you, if you <laughs> didn't see the problems up until then, you know, we need to get some better glasses here, right? Because the, the yellow flags really are, are the ones that couples need to start looking out for. And, okay. you know, this is where, you know, maybe they are, um, they're not spending time together, first of all, right? They are not intimate with each other. They are spending more time with the kids or having more relationship with the kids than they are with each other. Mm -hmm. um, they, they are spending more time at work and they haven't been on a vacation together, maybe since their honeymoon just the two of them, you know, these are, these are behaviors where they, there's a lack of investment in the relationship. So and they typically and with love reason. each other. Yeah. They typically yeah. love each other and they can justify not having that time. You know, couples will say, well, we don't have enough time. You know, the kids need this. My, my parents need this, you know, mm -hmm. my job is demanding. And so it's all very justifiable it just wears at the relationship over time. So we think about that like erosion. 
So whatever the bond was there in the beginning when they were dating and having fun and doing all that stuff is eroding. Those are yellow flags. The blue flags are like code blue. These are things that are killing the relationship. Uh, things like not being open about what you're doing on social media or uh, hiding money, those secret keeping, talking to people of the opposite gender about intimate things in the relationship, um, bringing other people in closer to you than your partner is. So those are, they're not direct offenses like an affair or an abuse, but they keep your partner on the outside and that, that is going to kill the relationship. Do you guys, and this is a question I've had before, do you see your clients, does the relationship change or is the situation different, whether it's a, say, a stay-at-home mom or dad situation versus both spouses working? Is there just as much issues in those two types of scenarios or potential issues? There are, uh, you know, similar potential issues. Um, they just might vary a little bit different. You know, if both people are working, you know, then they are trying to kind of balance a work life and and a family. They're going to be distant because they don't really know what the other person is doing, right? They are more prone to having, uh, you know, close relationships with coworkers and living kind of a parallel live uh, type of situation where each person is doing their own thing. You know, maybe they're taking care of the kids in shifts. Right. But there's very little interaction or investment in their intimate relationship. If you think about um, just the way a couple manages their finances and when it's a person who is not making money externally and one person is making all the money, uh, the person that's home doesn't see their value or that the mm -hmm. money coming in is coming in because they're home because they're watching the kids and cleaning the house, doing all the things that two people that are both working are probably paying for. And so there's two people that are both bringing money in have a more balanced partnership in terms of their belief about uh, their power in the relationship. And so I would say that is the differentiating thing. And it's, it's often not until a couple with when there's the same parent, goes through the divorce that they go, oh, I am entitled to half, but they can't feel that in their power in that relationship as much as um, a couple that they're both working. Yeah. That, it's interesting. You brought that up about uh, the half because the, we'll see, and I don't deal with this too much because we handle hundred percent amicable cases, but back when I worked for a law firm or with the courts, the, the, let's say the husband was the, was the working spouse, they would say, well, why does she get half? This is, I earned this on, on my back, my efforts, it's my income. And the, it's, it's what you said. It's because, you know, but for uh, the, you know, in the scenario the wife being home allowed the husband to go out and work and promote and do all the things they do. So it's, it can be an interesting, uh, completely opposite uh, thought process in that way. And, and that really just shows the disconnect that has, has happened, you know, over a long period of time where, you know, they are thinking from the perspective of mine, this is mine, you know, and not yours or ours or ours. And that's, yeah. that, that's the big 
factor there that is always present when when couples are so disconnected is that they're not working on investing in, on the us. It is mine and yours, his and hers, but it's not ours. Talking about finances, what are you guys seeing with couples and how they handle them? We have um, a good percentage. I'd probably put it as high as 25% of our clients going through divorce where they never shared their finances. They never shared a bank account. They never shared, uh, they, they have no idea what each spouse has in, in their 401ks or even if they even have one. They're, they buy their own cars. And and if there's a family home, usually they're each contributing either you know half to the payment or um, their percentage based on maybe their incomes. But I've seen all kinds of very interesting, I don't know if it's even called non-standard um, you know, financial relationships with their spouse. What are you guys seeing? I'm sure that's an, perhaps an indicator, and correct me if I'm wrong, of something maybe already amiss. Yeah, that's the us that we're talking about. And you know, the point of being in a long-term relationship with another human being is to witness their life. And if each person's coming in protecting their own, and it's typically done from that place, I don't want anyone to know because I don't want to be risk. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't know what's going to happen. And when you don't take risk together, you can't bond together. And I recently saw a statistic that the, the greatest success of long-term relationships are young couples getting married and potentially not even living together before they got married. So that old fashioned, you know, get married at 19, 20, 21 years old before you have anything and growing that together. And, you know, their thing was people who are older have already walked away from plenty of relationships. They've already been intimate mm. with plenty of people that they've fallen in and out of love with. So that's an option. But the young people who maybe that's the only person they've ever dated and the only person they've been intimate with. And so they have more of a, an investment in that and not the thinking of, well, I can just find somebody else. And so the older couples aren't really getting married or they're not, mm. they're not blending their lives. Like the financial piece you're talking about. You yeah, were the, talking, the uh, go ahead. I was just going to say the generation that has the highest divorce rate are the, the boomers currently. And the the generation that has the lowest marriage rate are the millennials. And that generation, what we're seeing is that they are not getting married. They're, they're cohabitating. They do own assets together, but they leave like this, this back door that if something happens, right, that they can leave and they can take their finances with them. They keep everything separate. Yeah. Right. And the generation and Gene's talking about is then, you know, the generation Z, which is we are seeing now, you know, getting married earlier and also starting at the same place in life. So you're saying millennials are getting married later. Gen Z is, or Z is getting married earlier than the millennials. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And millennials, if they get married at all. And the millennials really witnessed the most amount of divorce with the with the boomers. So their parents were the boomers that were going through these divorces. So they don't oh, want to put themselves through that. And they have that, that fear. So they witness that. Mm -hmm. And the, and my the daughters are being raised by the, the statistic is 60% of kids 
do not live with both their parents. They either live with uh, a, a parent with a step parent or a single parent, or they go back and forth between two. That would make sense. The um, I was just I was going to mention my daughter's twenty six, so I don't know what that generation that puts her in, but she's following in what sounds like your millennial group, where she's again twenty six. She just moved into an apartment with her boyfriend for like the last year, um, but we're seeing that across the board. Her age group um, doing exactly that. Not, I mean, they're taking it slow, but yeah, definitely. You know, my wife. I think I was twenty two, and my wife was. 21 when we got married and just kind of, you know, babies immediately and kind of how it used to be. But yeah, that's, that dynamic has completely changed. Yeah, absolutely. They have the lowest marriage rate and they have the lowest divorce rate because of that oh. reason. <laughs> there's a, there's a term called sliding versus deciding. Uh -huh. And so um, probably you decided to ask your wife out. You decided to ask her to marry you. You decided to have a wedding. You decided to have children. And these, these people now are like, well, my lease is up. It's kind of convenient. Let's just sort of move in together. But it isn't like, I love you. I am committing to you. I want to be with you. It's sort of like, let's wait and see what happens. And the sad part about that is you have all of the vulnerability, but none of the certainty. Your, no, your heart's going to break either way. It's You, you can't protect mm. yourself from that. But you don't have a committed person that is also saying, yes, I'm in this with you when it gets tough. And that piece is really important that if, if you don't have that because it gets tough, all marriages, all relationships get tough. And if you're able to grow beyond that, there's a richness that is the most incredible thing we can do as human beings or the greatest amount of pain if it all falls apart. So, so we kind of think about it like Chex Mix. You can pull your peanuts and the cereal out, but if you bake a cake, you can't pull out the eggs and sugar. It just breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So our, just so I understand with the millennials, in my mind, I, I didn't realize they were making those decisions in that way. Like with just going back to my daughter, I don't know if she falls into this exact category, but it seems financial in a way like they'd like to get a house but with housing costs being so high and interest rates being so crazy they kind of want to be more established before before they you know take it to the next relationship or next you know um you know elevating the relationship from you know from what they're now boyfriend girlfriend to engage to then being married is there outside factors that are affecting this that you guys are seeing well you know those decisions that they're making from that place it's all justifiable it all makes sense Right. But when is the right time to get married? Yeah. When is the right time to have kids? You know, th there is really no right time. And so when you think about it, when you guys got married, it, you just you jumped, you know, and you had faith that you guys were going to make make it through. And th that's that's the thing, you know, the, the millennial generation, they're trying to make decisions from a place of logic and reason but they are not listening and following their heart. I think another contributing factor is our school systems. Our school systems start prepping kids when they're in kindergarten to ultimately get educated and higher education and make a lot of money and, and, and have a great job, but we're not really so concerned about relationship skills. And a lot of kids that are millennials 
They didn't have the freedom to go out and play. There was a lot of fear-based things. Mm. And kids today are almost 100% in front of an adult. And they have very expensive hobbies like hockey and cheerleading and dance and all these things that are thousands of dollars and they're traveling all over, but they don't have to deal with the kid next to them. They don't have to go figure it out. There's always an adult intervening, whether it's a coach or a parent. Playdates involve parents. They don't involve just the kids. You know, when we were kids, we had to go out and play and we had to figure it out. And if you had a problem with your friend, your parents said, go work it out. And you had to learn how to deal with your peers. So we're really only dealing with our adult supervisors and and getting uh, acknowledgement for how we perform either in school or in a, in a hobby. We're not getting kindness or thoughtfulness or other things that are really important relationship skills. And so you bring that to a relationship. What can I get if I perform? versus what can I give? And it's the what can I give that creates a really rich life. And that's what reduces the anxiety and depression that so many of these people now have because they have such a disconnect in their life from everyone. There's mm. such a distrust. That all that all makes sense. I wanted to, um, you guys talk about um, why traditional marriage counseling can damage a marriage. So I want to start there and then kind of dovetail into what you guys do and um and then talk about um some of your um your coaching programs i know you have you know your couples your synergy group you have i think even a home study course so if we could start with the what what your thoughts on our traditional marriage counseling and then what versus what you guys are doing most people don't know that traditional marriage counseling has the worst success rate across the board of all therapies. And the reason is, is that most people, majority, I would say, of traditional marriage counselors out there, they don't have any specific training in working with a couple. In fact, all you have to do is get a uh, master's degree and hang up a shingle and you can call yourself a marriage counselor without ever having sat in front of a married couple before. There's no specialty in it. There's no specialty, no certification that's necessary or needed. And a lot of therapists are coming out of school. They are, um, they, you know, they've never been in the workforce. They went from bachelor's degree to a master's degree and they're not even married themselves. And now they are in front of a couple and, and they are taught, you know, very basic book skills on how to help a couple talk to each other when they really have not even had that life experience. Another factor that, that occurs in traditional marriage counseling is that there is a gender bias that occurs right from the beginning. If it's a female therapist, now there's two women in the room and one man. If it's a male therapist, it's two men in the room and one woman. And so there's always an imbalance and it creates a gender bias. What also occurs is that the therapist is naturally pushed into the role of being a referee. And so each person of the relationship, they try to get the therapist to see their side, mm -hmm. to support their side. And that puts the other person on the defense. So 
nine times out of 10, couples are walking out of a session feeling slighted, feeling more and in competition with each other. And now they have to fight the next time to get the therapist to get on their side. That makes sense. And you know, the session will start something like this. So tell me about your week. And they instantly throw out their latest conflict and mm. leave feeling horrible. And that's never the feeling we want people to have. That's the pattern that we want to disrupt. And so, you know, our, our method is, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard to replicate because we are a married couple. We've been married for 25 years. We had to live through this stuff and we had to keep choosing this as opposed to if we had chosen something else, we wouldn't be as committed to the person, the couple sitting in front of us to do the hard work. And so, you know, how do you, how do you have 25 years of life experience and 25 years of working with thousands of couples and watching them go through it? And so what we, what we do that's different is we put those issues, what we call issues, even if they're big ones, like someone had an affair to the back until we help them become different people. And then we bring it forward for healing yeah. as opposed to sit there and creating rules or I statements or some of the typical things that you'll hear of traditional marriage counseling. So you guys are able to disrupt. And I, you, I think you answered my question as I was writing down the question. How, how, do, how are you disrupting that? It's by you guys each being in the room or however you guys do that. So there is not that imbalance. Correct. Right from the beginning, because we are a married couple and both genders are being represented, the gender bias is, is eliminated. So now we can actually work with the couple versus the individual parts. Now, I do work with the husbands individually, and Jean works with the wives individually. And then we come together, the four of us, in teaching them the skills that they need in order to you know, change that trajectory that the relationship is on. One of the things that we let people know is you're going to re be respected whether you're in the room or not. And early on in our careers, we had to learn this the hard way that when we are working individually with someone and we want to believe their side of the story. But what we now know is that is colored by so many things and it's not the point. The point isn't to find a winner and a loser. The point is to find the other thing the other thing that is kindness, the other thing that is empathy, the other thing that is seeing your partner for the imperfect and wounded person that they are and helping them feel better in the world. That's our goal. It isn't to referee or, or find fault. That doesn't work. You guys kind of bring the whole, what do I want to say? You're the whole package because you were talking about Therapists just need a master's degree, no experience, don't even have to be married. And there's this, um, and you guys have degrees like there's no tomorrow, plus the experience. There's this fairly new, you know, coaching seems to be people calling them marriage coaches or financial coaches. Basically, like I mentioned earlier, with no letters behind their name, really just using their personal experiences as their expertise. Um, is there a place for those folks as well? I, I think it can be both 
uh, an opportunity and dangerous. So depending on someone's makeup, right? Tony Robbins is that way. But he did his work. He read every book he could find. He educated himself. He he self-taught himself. But then there's other people, you know, it's like parenting books. Well, this worked with my kid. So across the board, it's going to work. Well, of course it doesn't. So we also see that they're like, well, we went through this difficult thing and this is how we fixed it. And so that applies to everybody, which is not the case. So there's, there is an opportunity for people who are, maybe are naturally gifted, but it's, it's definitely a buyer beware. The, the danger is, is when someone uses anecdotal experience and tries to apply it to other people in their lives. You know, what worked for you doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. And, and so, you know, our approach is not just our own experience within our relationship, but it is research-based. You know, everything we are teaching couples are skills that we know is necessary for them to learn in order to be able to come together, keeping in mind the, the specific differences that each couple brings to our sessions. Right. So it is a, a great combination of not just our own personal experience, but also our education and research and also our, our experience in the field. This this kind of leads into how we work with people. And we found that there's three different levels that couples really need in order to make a lasting change in their relationship. So typically we work with someone one hour a week, whether it's the couple or individual. And those sessions are designed to really personally help the person discover their, their own selves, reflect in their lives. But they're typically going from that one hour session right back into their life. And so it's hard to integrate that. So the other thing that we did is we created uh, a a couple's weekend. We call it a relationship enhancement weekend. And this is where they, they stay in it without distraction from some point on Thursday to some point on Sunday. And they they are not allowed to have phones on the weekend. They're, they are a hundred percent in, and they're making those deep deposit that investment into the relationship, which allows that vulnerability and those secondary emotions, a safe place for them to experience. And the third thing that we do is what, the home study course, because there's certain things we want people to learn that they can't learn in a session because they're too emotional. We, we don't learn very well if we're upset. And so the home study course is the things that we've told people over and over and over again. Every couple hears what, what's in that home study course because it's fundamental things that help that adult-adult relationship shift from that parent-child relationship. Where do you find people? Are people coming in at different? Uh, I was looking at your website. The other couple to couple, the weekend intensive you're talking about. It looks like there's two study courses. You have a workshop. You have the podcast. What does that funnel look like for you guys? Are people coming in and in, in, in all different uh, from all different places based on their their needs at the time? Yeah, you know, I think uh, there are certain programs that we have that you know are attractive to couples at different places in their life, right? You know, couples who are typically in the red flag category, I, I don't think really reach out to us much, right? Uh, the two demographics that we see come through the doors are uh, couples who are young and have young kids, and they are just 
caught up in the rat race and, you know, over and over doing the same thing over and over again, you know, the groundhog day and feeling very disconnected. And then the second demographic are uh, people who are empty nesters. You know, their kids are grown. Um, maybe they're not out of the house, but they're grown. They're doing their own thing now. And, you know, the couple is looking at each other like, I, I don't know who you are, right? We haven't spent time together in years. And so now what are we going to do from here? And, and those couples, those two demographics, they, they come in at, at different places. You know, they might come in because they want that personal coaching from us. You know, maybe they want to get away. And so they're really looking at that enhancement weekend as, as time away for their relationship and, and invest in that, you know? So yeah, it, there really isn't one area that couples are coming in or, or trend. Before we end off, what didn't I ask you? Should I have asked you, do you guys want to mention, and then we can close out by you just letting us know how folks can get a hold of you. You know, one thing I want to mention is that, you know, we've talked about traditional marriage counseling. We talked about our coaching, you know, and our approach. You know, one thing that we we want to always uh, let people know out there is that, you know, do your research, you know, ask the questions that that you need to in order to feel like the person that you're seeking out is going to be a good fit for you. Right. You know, don't just go with what your insurance is is you know, submitting to you, you know, ask the questions of whether the person is married, how much experience have they had in working with couples, right? What is their philosophy of, you know, uh, working at, at saving the marriage or, or working at trying to find happiness for both of them? You know, these, these are really important questions. And we do have a podcast episode on that specific, you know, situation is, you know, do your research and find the right guidance for your relationship. Perfect. Yeah, I'm glad you ended with that. And how, what's the best way? Do you, you do a consultations or should they just go to your website? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can go to our website, couplesynergy.com, and they could sign up for a consult. We do do consultations. Um, and in those consultations, you know, Gene and I are, are really asking the questions that we need in order to understand where the relationship is at and what program really would be a, a good fit for them where they're at. Awesome. And are you guys mostly in-person um, coaching or is, are you guys behind the whole Zoom and non-personal wise? We do virtual, virtual. Uh, sessions because we do sessions with people all over the world at this point. Okay. Um, from time to time, we do go into our clinic in the Chicagoland area. And for people who are local, you know, we are able to do in-person at, at those times. And the weekend, of course, is in-person. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, again, thanks so much, uh, you guys, for uh, coming on and taking this almost a full hour uh, with me. I know the folks that uh, watch my content. Um, I've had really good um, responses to me not just talking about divorce. I've done, I think, 1,800 videos on YouTube, and I'm trying to get a lot more of this type of content out there because I think people are getting tired of the repetition of me talking about the same thing over and over again. And I just don't have this expertise or comfort level about talking about these types of things. But I do have uh, a big following of people that uh, I think have been wanting this content. So, again, thank you so much. Thanks for You're having welcome. us. Thanks for having us. Sure thing.